Hello, my name is Pamela Todd, and it's good to finally meet you. Denise asked me to tell you a little about myself. I live in London, and, like you, I expect, have had a pretty strange past year and a half. As the world turned upside down, recording books for Calibre, and for you, became a comfortable constant. The bustle and the noise receded. Traffic slowed. There were fewer planes to interrupt my recording, though perhaps more helicopters and definitely more sirens. My background is in publishing. My first job on coming to London was at Punch magazine, where I pretty much swept the leaves into a corner while learning, almost by osmosis, how to sub and proofread, and indeed to write, from simply being around Alan Corrin, to me an elderly person of thirty-four, but just as funny in person as on the page, and the late great Miles Kington. From Punch I went on to become an editor at Weidenfeld and Nicholson, and then became the youngest agent at the oldest literary agency, A.P. Watt, where I represented forty or so brilliant writers, many of whom, I'm pleased to find, already in the Calibre Library. Until the birth of twins, I already had a much-loved singleton, stopped me in my tracks. I added a Master's in Art History to my first degree in English, and began writing around the babies, producing half a dozen books for Thames and Hudson on the artists and art movements that interested me most. The Impressionists, Bloomsbury, William Morris and the Arts and Crafts Movement. I began to lecture, and I continued to represent just one author who'd refused to take no for an answer. Jill Murphy, author of great children's classics like Peace at Last, Whatever Next, Five Minutes Peace, and the wonderful Worst Witch Books, which I was thrilled to find in the Calibre Library when, ten years ago now, I first began recording for them. I'd been casting about for some new volunteer work I could do. When they were school age, my kids were always volunteering me. School hall needs a new roof. My mum'll fundraise for that. Class trip of thirty to the British Museum on two buses. My mum'll do that. A friend, Ruth Chatto, who had just started narrating for Calibre, introduced me to the idea. She said I'd love it, and she was right. I had to produce a short sample. Here, read a page of this, said number two daughter, picking a book, by Emma Donoghue, as it happened, up off the floor on my side of the bed. So I did, not realising that she was already recording me on her iPhone. Ah, the young. And technology. We sent it off to lovely Denise, and I was invited into the Calibre offices. Bring a stout bag, or even a shopping trolley if you have one, said John, who spent a morning training me up and taking me through the process before sending me home with my first book, Joanna Rossiter's The Sea Change, and all the equipment I'd need to record it on, including a very fancy microphone and a Calibre computer, which now contains all the books nearly forty, I've recorded since that sunny morning. Set up in a quiet, well-padded room, carpets, curtains, cushions, John advised, adding that I could simply read the book straight, without doing any voices, 
for after all, that's how we read in our heads. But I soon found that there were certain words, especially ones like diaper or stroller, that demanded to be read in an American accent. And authors, like the fabulous Nora Ephron, Edith Perlman and Alice Munro, who would have sounded odd in RP. So I began to launch out. My toolkit of accents wasn't vast, but I was immensely gratified to find, halfway through, recording Elizabeth Hardwick's extraordinary Sleepless Nights and stumbling on a YouTube video of the author herself, that the slow, southern, Blanche Dubois drawl I'd shamelessly adopted was pretty close to the author's own speaking style. The job had just become even more interesting. I really pushed the boat out with a big brick of a book, the ironically named The Miniaturist, by a young writer, Jessie Burden, who had imagined a world within a world, all set in Amsterdam in 1686. I'd visited Amsterdam often enough, as we had good friends, one of them Dutch, living there on the single, which I knew to call this single, and not the single. I gave the protagonist's husband, Johannes, a slight Sean Connery spin, and made the servants vaguely northern. Wigan, not Verkhoven, but it worked. Or at least, I hope it did. Assume it did. Sometimes we narrators get feedback from you, the unseen listeners, and that's always cheering, to feel the string in the Nescafe tin at my end vibrate and connect to your Nescafe tin. To know that someone's listened to the recording I've made, snatching odd hours in a busy day, or filling empty ones in a suddenly quiet day, those babies growing up, moving away to uni and beyond, is quietly thrilling. I record in a tiny, carpeted, sort of cushioned, hat-box of a room at the front of the house, which overlooks the quiet street. I don't have a particular time of day, though tend to avoid early morning, preferring to start only when my voice has warmed up a bit. There are all kinds of pitfalls for the unwary narrator. Days when your voice won't play, or days when you feel you could go on forever, though that's the very moment when, two paragraphs ahead, you suddenly spy the Beecher's Brook of a Latin phrase or a French couplet, or help a couple of italicised lines you might have to sing. Google is almost as good a teacher as John, an everyday miracle I turn to all the time for advice on pronunciation or YouTube links to writers. It's particularly helpful with poetry, I find, especially if you don't feel you've really got the sense. There was a Shakespeare sonnet I couldn't penetrate. I dialed it up on YouTube and listen to various greats, Patrick Stewart, Sir Ralph Richardson, recite, but felt they were just doing what I was doing, reading the lines, only better, or louder. It was a woman, the sublime Fiona Shaw, who unlocked the meaning for me, with where she put the stress and the playful archness she brought to certain lines. A revelation, an education, a wonderful reward. Like other narrators, 
I keep notes on characters and the accents and voices I've awarded them. Sometimes I come a cropper. Recording Vejna Goldsworthy's excellent and moving memoir, Chernobyl's Strawberries, I was foxed by her Bosnian maiden name and how to pronounce it. I consulted the great god Google, but nothing doing. In the end, I just went for it, giving the multi-syllabled surname an Eastern European swing. So long as I was consistent, I figured, it would be fine. But then, three-quarters of the way through the book, Vejna Goldsworthy, relating the incident of her marriage, told us how she'd instructed the English registrar in exactly how to pronounce by Logalich, which was, needless to say, not how I had. I thought back. There had perhaps been five occasions in the book when she'd used her maiden name, but, not thinking they would be that important, I hadn't flagged them up, and was now faced with a dilemma. Did I go back through the files, searching for and correcting my pronunciation, or leave it? Of course I went back. If a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well, my dad always said. And narrating for Calibre is a job worth doing, and I wasn't going to skimp. Denise allocates the books, and, mostly, I fall in with her choices, but occasionally I'll beg off, if it's something I know I won't like. We record in thirty-minute files, some of which, with the editing, can take two hours to finish and cover just sixteen pages. If the book you're recording is three hundred and twenty pages long, well, you can do the maths. It's a big ask, and I know Denise wouldn't want us to be miserable. And besides... There's no need to be, for a book that's not your bag is very likely someone else's. I do a lot of memoirs, Vejna Goldsworthy, Harriet Harman's A Woman's Work, Claire Tomalin's A Life of My Own, Mary Quant's Quant on Quant, and a wonderfully quiet but perfect book called Patchwork by Claire Wilcox, a curator at the V&A, which deservedly won the Joe Ackerley Prize for Autobiography last year some poetry, social history, and, of course, fiction. Above all, I love good writing, getting into the rhythm of the author's sentences so that you land perfectly on the full stop. I love a first-person narrator and a first novel. A stunning first novel with a first-person narrator is my idea of heaven. So these days, if I'm not reading or writing or selling the rights in a book, I'm recording one for Calibre. We have portfolio lives now, and lockdown has added another layer. Sometimes I'll pack up my equipment and take it away with me to the country if I'm staying with someone. I always imagine it will be quieter there than in London, but I tend to forget how noisy the countryside is, the way the trees really do sow the way rain can pelt against a casement window, the way the birds can go absolutely bonkers. Not that London's without its hazards. During lockdown, a young girl, 13, 14, decided our road, short on a slight incline, 
made the perfect nursery slopes for her skateboard. I'd hear her arrive, the clonk of the board as it dropped to the road, and then the slow glissando, as annoying as a wheelie suitcase, as she travelled past. I'd hear her stop, breaking by stamping hard on the far end of the board so that it came up and fell to her hand, and then a quiet moment, as on soft-soled sneakers, and possibly with a smile on her face, she walked back to the top of the road. I thought about going out and remonstrating with her, reasoning with her, telling her about you, but I figured that lockdown was hard for everyone, and if she had found a place and space that felt like her own to do something she enjoyed, then who was I, who were we, to spoil that for her? So I'd hang up my headphones and go downstairs and make a cup of tea. There's always tomorrow. Thanks for listening. It's been a pleasure to meet you.